know, I put on my business suit, my reporter's outfit, and I go in and he meets with me. He puts my tape in the machine and um, starts looking at it. And then he turns to me and he said, I can't hire you because nobody here looks like you. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. This episode is brought to you by BMW of West Houston. Hi, this is Robert Ury, the seven-time NBA champ, also known as Big Shot Bob. BMW of West Houston has provided me and my family with the best service and the best experience for years. BMW has been there for me and my family for years, so much so that it has convinced my wife to switch over from a former brand to BMW, and she loves it. BMW has been the car to drive. It is the ultimate driving experience. Hey, everybody, it's Linda Laurel, and this is our Voices Matter podcast. So glad you joined us today. My guest is Pauline Chu, an international journalist with whom I had the pleasure of working for a short time during her days here in Houston at KPRC-TV. Pauline started her career in local TV, went all the way to Asia for nine years where she worked for CNN and CNBC. She's back in the States now, continuing her work in journalism, and she's got such a a unique perspective to share, not only from having been on the ground as a reporter, but now working in management, having worked overseas, but also as an Asian American woman who is navigating the challenging times for Asian Americans in our country. Uh, Pauline has a BA in history from Yale University and her master's in broadcast journalism from Medill at Northwestern University. Really enjoyed my conversation with her and I'm excited for you to hear it. Here we go. Pauline, it is so wonderful to reconnect with you after all these years. Welcome to Our Voices Matter podcast. Thank you so much, Linda. I've been listening to your podcast and watching them on YouTube and the guests you have give me so much hope. Many of them have great insight, great solutions, and are, are passionate about issues of diversity, social justice. It's it's been really a, a fantastic a fantastic podcast. Well, thank you so Congratulations. much. Thank you. And that that really means a lot to me coming from you with your extensive international journalism background and all that you have have done uh, in this field that we both have dedicated our lives to and, and dearly love and understand the importance of it for our democracy. So I, I want to ask you to just give our audience a quick little snapshot of, of your career trajectory, you know, where you started and, and what where you are now and what you're doing. Uh, sure. So I started in local news many, many years ago <laughs> when we were called one man bands. Yes. Now, now that's not politically correct. We're co- one man bands has been transformed. The terminology has been transformed into multimedia journalists or multi-skilled journalists. Right. Uh, so I started started there in upstate New York, and then I moved to Springfield, Massachusetts, and then the big jump to Houston, where you and I worked together, Linda, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then I went to Boston. I'm trying to remember all the markets where I've worked. Mm. And then I went to New York City where I started to work at the network level on a freelance basis for CBS as well as CNN. And this was a time where I 
wanted, I was desperately trying to reach that network level. It's something I really wanted to do. And it was about 12 years into local news that that was the step I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if I'm going to do it, I need to jump in, go to New York and freelance. And it paid off. After freelancing for both networks, I got a job offer with CNN to go to Hong Kong. And that changed worldview and everything. It was a fabulous experience. And I went to Hong Kong for CNN International, so the international channel, for six years. And then I got an offer from CNBC in Singapore to host their Asia Morning Program out of Singapore, which was CNBC's Asia Hub. And then Mm -hmm. I stayed there for another, for three years. So I was in Asia all of nine years. And then coming back to the U.S., uh, it was time to come back, and my whole family's on the in the Northeast. I came back in 2017, wanted to stay in journalism, but also wanted to try the management side of journalism to fully understand the, the 360 view of how to keep a newsroom financially viable and also to have more editorial guidance and, and more of an editorial hand in coverage. And so I became news director at News 12 Westchester and News 12 Hudson Valley, which is the region where I grew up. So it was really special coming back full circle. I'll bet. I'll bet it was. Unbelievable. What's such a, a wonderful career. And I remember after working together at KPRC and then a few years later, seeing you on, on CNN and then seeing you on CNBC in Singapore. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Pauline <laughs> is just, just doing it. And it's been so wonderful to um, to watch your career and and see how how you've been able to, to take your love for, for journalism and what you do and not only continue the craft yourself, but also to mentor journalists who are up and coming. And I know that that's something that's very near and dear to your heart. Why? Why do you think it's so important and why do you spend so much of your time with our young journalists today? I do. I, I lecture, I guess, lecture at two different colleges here in New York to journalism classes. It's so important because journalism is about connecting communities and telling stories. So we need people to get into the communities to tell the stories at a deep level, not just not just on the surface of who, what, where, when, but really dig past the layers to, to make a difference. Journalism is meant to impact communities and, and to make change. And so I really believe that you've got to bring people along with you. And one way of doing that is to give the best advice you can and try to equip the next generation of great storytellers and journalists with the right tools. So you've seen so much change as there has been in the business over the last 20, 30 yes. years. Um, you know, you talked about the one man bands now being called MMJs and, uh, you know, the technology, of course, is completely different than it was when we started. Um, but from the perspective of the actual storytelling and, you know, we're living in such a chaotic difficult time in our world on multiple levels. Um, And I truly believe it, I'm sure you do as well, that journalism is probably more important than ever. um, And that it's really critical that we get the stories out there. Um, What is it that you are telling young journalists today 
that is important for them to be aware of as they go about the business of storytelling, particularly in a in what I would arguably call a very much anti-media environment right now. So what what are you telling them? What is it that they need to know to be able to to do their jobs and and really serve the public good? I'm telling them two things. The first is to be a thoughtful storyteller, be an authentic storyteller. The criticism with local news is that we parachute in, we cover the story, and then we're gone. So it's important to be thoughtful and intentional in your storytelling. So when you're covering a story, cover it well, talk to all the people involved, bring in context. Context is so important, not just the facts. And that's what I teach journalists who are early in their careers. Yes, you need the who, what, when, where, but give me the context of the background of this politician or the background of this issue in this community or the background of this superintendent. Mm -hmm. And so be an intentional storyteller. The other thing I tell journalists is you've got to show up. You've got to show up. You have to go there. And I, and I, and I have said to young journalists um, in classrooms and just in the professional world, you're never going to get a good, good answer with a text or an email. And and email is also a way, and and this could be sort of left over from print reporting as well. Mm -hmm. You've got to show up because when you show up and you have the human connection with a person, uh, either a witness or a person in the community or an official, you inevitably get better information. Yes. You start a conversation. Exactly. You build a relationship. You've got right. to show up. So, mm-hmm. I, so those are the two things. Be an intentional storyteller and go. Show up. The city council meetings and town meetings, they're, they're streamed. You can, during the pandemic, they were Zoomed. You know, we're now at a point where Sure, you can get all the information from a live stream city council meeting, but it's better to show up. It's better mm-hmm. to go because you can get those people who are sitting on the sidelines and get their get their take, get their phone numbers, get their email addresses so you can follow up yeah. with them. Or, or Yeah, and like you say, it's about building that relationship. And that's so much it's it's done so much. Uh, more easily when you are in person and you're having that face-to-face, one-on-one human contact that we all missed so yes. much of, you know, during during the pandemic. So um, your background in journalism that took you from, you know, local news to network news on the national level here in the States and then overseas and then back to the States um, gives you a really, I think, unique perspective in terms of, of globalization and how to come at a story. Um, but I, th- I think also I would I would guess also that um, as an Asian American woman living in this time right now where there's been so much um, anti-Asian hate, um, particularly since the, the beginning of the pandemic, um, I'm just interested in what your perspective is about all of this um, from the from the perspective of one, a woman to an, an Asian American woman and, 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 and three, someone who knows and understands about and advocates for the need for diversity and inclusion in all workspaces, 
not just journalism, but everywhere. Yes. This is a topic that has been so painful to see evolve over the past mm. two years, where we have seen the anti-Asian hate incidents, particularly against women and against the elderly in the Asian American community. The outlets that have been covering it well, the outlets that have been covering it well have Asian American representation in their newsrooms. Mm, this that is so key. So key. Yes. There that yeah. is so key. There is um and the reason why that is key is because you've got somebody in the community who understands the cultural nuances, who understands the needs in that community, who can push for not just the today coverage of an incident but the tomorrow coverage and what the solutions are and holding the officials' feet to the fire. And that's the context that you were just talking about a moment that's ago. The that's the context. Exactly. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. When, when you see the, when you see the um, incidents against the elderly in the Asian American community, the cultural context is the Asian American community for so long was not um, a community that would speak up and protest for so long when I was growing up. When I was growing up, it was very much a generation of work hard and you move forward. Don't make waves. But now we see so many Asian American um, lawmakers and um community leaders. So things have changed. But what I will say about the elderly pop population in the Asian American community, is still that sort of traditional, they don't want attention. They don't want to speak up. They just want to, you know, they want to move along with life. But when these incidents have happened, it's very uncomfortable for an elderly Asian American person to a, speak up about it because the cultural nuances, it can be associated with shame. This happened to me and you don't want to bring that kind of attention to yourself. Um, the others, there were the language barriers. So I think if you have a reporter who's Asian American or understands the nuance or has lived in Asia, they can navigate these cultural nuances a little bit better. And um, and that's why diversity matters. Yes. You yes. need that's people a, at the table. Exactly. Exactly. On a on a personal level, I, I can only imagine, you know, what goes through your mind and how it affects you when you see a story um, about particularly an elderly person in, in the Asian American community. But really, anyone? How how have you been dealing with this personally? It's it's so painful. It, it's you know I take off my neutral journalist hat, but I'm still human. I see these incidents. My, I think this could have been my parents. You know, my parents are are getting up there in age, and um, you know, I they. I, I see this and I think, you know, it could be anybody's parents or grandparents. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very disheartening. 
And so all you want to do is you, you, you want, you want to protect to the innocent. You want yes. to protect yes. them. And, and you have children as well. I have children as well. I have two, I have two young daughters. So how do you talk to them about this? How old are they? And how, how are you handling this? So my daughters are nine and 11 and, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it, this whole environment and what we're seeing on the news, and I'm a news junkie, so I watch the news and my kids watch it with me almost too much. Um, but it has, it, it has spurred discussion and, uh, and there have been incidents at school and on the school bus that they've brought home to me that help us understand what has happened. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, my nine-year-old, sorry, it was my 11-year-old daughter. She's in middle school. She came home and said, um, mommy, there, a boy said to another boy on the bus, and the second boy is Asian American. A boy said to him on the bus ride home, how does it feel like being from a country where COVID started? Mm. And the the Asian American boy, according to my daughter, um, just he just sort of laughed it off and other kids around him were laughing. And I was very alarmed when I heard that. And I said, this is how racism looks this is how bullying starts. And, um, you know, it was, it was really upsetting. So we talked about it and I, and I said to my, I said to my daughter, um, did you say anything? And she, she didn't, she didn't want to get involved. It's, it's a very sensitive time. She, you know, she was afraid she would get bullied. And so there were, there were enough kids on the bus who heard it that the school learned about it. And so they took care of it. They took care mm -hmm. of it, mm -hmm. um, and rightfully mm -hmm. so. Um, right. But you see the the incidents on the news with the anti hate incidents. You hear comments like this from kids in middle school in my own district. Um, it's it's troubling, and so I I think the first step is having a conversation, having many conversations, having podcasts like this. So, mm -hmm. so it begins a dialogue and the yes. Asian American community and Asian American journalists uh, are motivated, are motivated to cover the issue deeper. So there are obvious, there are real obvious parallels in, in all marginalized communities. Right. I mean, certainly there are parallels in the black community and there are parallels in the, in the uh, Latinx community. So um, the, the, the point being you know, if you're considered the other, um, for whatever reason, if it's because they think you're from the country that started, you know, the pandemic or, you know, they don't like you because of the way your eyes look or the color of your skin or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, one of the questions that I always ask our guests is, you know, when were you ever made to feel like the other? And, and what is the incident in your mind that that stands out um, that really kind of helped shape the way that you view the world today and how you show up today. Is there something that comes to mind when you think about that? Yeah, there are a few things that come to mind and, and um, they were early in my career. And so, as you know, both of us having been in television news uh, as starting out as reporters, 
in the it, back in those days, you had to put together a tape. And what I was taught in journalism school is to find your first job, make 20 tapes, 20 copies, get in a car and go on a road trip and literally cold call news directors at stations. So I did that. I did that um, in the Northeast and also the West Coast for my first job. And I I went on a road trip and I, I had a book where I had the phone numbers and names of news directors and I would call them and I would say, I'm in town, can I come by and drop off a tape? So I went to a, um, a small market town and the news director agreed to meet with me. And keep in mind, I'm in my early 20s, uh, just out of school. And you know, I put on my business suit, my reporter's outfit, and I go in and he meets with me. He puts my tape in the machine and um, starts looking at it. And then he turns to me and he said, I can't hire you because nobody here looks like you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, today that would be illegal to say that. I mean, yeah, this is mm-hmm. years ago. I don't even remember what I said. Yeah, you were probably I, so... I was taken aback and I also was thinking that shouldn't matter. I'm, I know I'm going to be a good reporter. Right. Give me a chance. And, um, right. So that was one experience and he popped the tape out. Thank you very much. And I was on my way to the next one. On on to the next, on to the next one. And, you know, at the time I, I would say at the time I, it just kind of felt I don't even I don't even know if I at the time if I recognized that as discrimination. As strange as that sounds, as as strange as as that sounds, um, I just thought, mm-hmm. okay, it's, I'm not who he's looking for. Yeah. So, but an older and wiser person, you know, now would no, no. no, it probably just felt like yeah, rejection right, more than right. anything. You know, and and you weren't going beneath that to say, well, where is that rejection coming from? Right, so, right. And and then another, yeah. um, I mean, the other incident I'll share uh, actually happened in Houston during the time where we worked together. And um, I remember there was a tornado in Sugarland that went through Sugarland, which is a suburb of Houston. And I remember it tore off, I think, the roof of a daycare and damaged some houses luckily nobody was injured the homeowner was was a nice gentleman and he let us in to take video and um i interviewed him and then as we were leaving the um the gentleman said to me well maybe someday uh, my buddies and i can get together with you and your asian girlfriends oh my god <laughs> Oof. and I mean, I don't, again, I don't even remember what I said in response, but uh, sadly and unfortunately, um, you know, what we saw with the Atlanta Mm -hmm. spa shootings, you know, the objectification of, the objectifying of um, Mm -hmm. Asian women has not gone away. Yeah. And that was a taste of it. You know, I, I, yeah, I didn't even, I, you know, it's just like, that's unfathomable. I read um, when I was just doing some background on you in preparation for today um, was that when you, one of the things that 
that sort of spurred you to go into journalism was a project that you did when you were, I think, was it in graduate school? Um, and you got to talk to Holocaust survivors. So tell me a little bit of, about that experience and how that helped inform the way that you look at the world and, and, and helped inform you as a journalist. That was a class that changed my life. And the, the Holocaust survivor who I interviewed changed my life. Um, so I was a history major and I took a, a seminar on the Holocaust. And it was, a, it was a small seminar in the sense that it wasn't one of those lectures with hundreds of students, but it was intentionally meant to be small. And so it was only maybe 12 to 14 students. And the professor, as our final term paper, paired us up and had each pair interview a Holocaust survivor in the Connecticut area who was willing to talk to students. And, um, and so I was paired up with a classmate and we went, we were paired up with a, a gentleman named Leon Weinberg, who has since passed away. And um, he is, he was a baker in North Haven, Connecticut. And um, we went to his bakery and he, he had established a commercial bakery that was supplying supermarkets and it was quite successful and, and local chains. And we sat in his office and he told us about his life in the Wudge, in the Wudge ghetto in Poland, Wudge, L-O-D-Z, it's pronounced Wudge. I think it's the third largest city in Poland. And um, when, when um, the Nazis came into his city, they established the ghetto and he was assigned to work in the Jewish ghetto bakery. And he said that's the only reason he survived because he was able to steal scraps of bread for him and his family. And um, Linda, I, we sat and talked with him for maybe two hours and I could have stayed for another 20 hours. I mean, his stories were, unbe were unbelievably painful and powerful. And I ended up doing my senior thesis on that particular ghetto because I was so touched by his story. And I just thought, so, this, is, this is one person's story and the world yeah. needs to hear it. Or at least my yeah. teacher needs to hear it for, you know, in this, in this, for this thesis. And it's, oh gosh, he, um, he even had a photo of one of his family members because he, he, he lost almost all of them. And um, it was just a black and white photo. And he just rebuilt his life in the U.S. when he immigrated here. And, um, and so I was really taken by that experience. And I knew I yeah. wanted to go into journalism well, because after he, that. Because and you saw I, the power of one person's story. And yes. that's it right there. You know, the, the, the power of story to help change hearts and minds, to help us see ourselves in each other, in each other's stories. Um, mm -hmm. If there were one thing that you want people to take away from your story, Pauline's story, what would that be? It would be that people are the same in every community. 
and they want dignity. They want to be treated well. And, and they want to, the same things that everyone else wants, which is they want their family to be safe. They want opportunity. And that doesn't change from community to community in general, in general. So, so as a result, we're more similar than different. And it's just really important to treat people with respect and dignity. And I saw that as simple as it sounds, I saw that here and I saw that in Asia, in Asia. Um, with different cultures, it's the same. It's the same. People want the best for their families and their, and their neighborhoods. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. And that's the, the whole reason that I started this podcast is because I just want to keep driving home that point. And with all of the different people that, um, you know, I've been privileged to talk to, including you, um, it just, it, it, it fills me up. It really does. It fills me up because the common thread among all of these stories is that we all want the same thing. You know, we're all striving to, you know, navigate our way through this thing called life. And um, we just want to do it with some dignity and respect. That's it. You know. And we should bring yes. others along with us. It's life is a team sport. It's not an individual uh, race. Absolutely. Pauline, it has been such a, a pleasure. I, I don't even want to stop talking, but I just want to ask you, is there anything that you'd like to add that I haven't given you a chance to say? I, I feel very optimistic about the future, despite so much of what we see mm -hmm. on the news and so much of um, the divisiveness that we see in, in just national conversation. And I think what you're doing by speaking to individuals in different spaces with sort of the same mission of making the world a better place, I feel very optimistic. So I should be thanking you for having this platform for all of us to listen to. Well, thank to. you so much, Pauline. And I, I can't wait to see what's next for you. You still have so much more to offer um, our world, not only in journalism, but through your volunteer efforts and the incredible mentoring that you're doing with young journalists. and. Um, I'm just so excited to be reconnected with you and uh, just thank you, my friend. Really, really appreciate this. Thank you. It's been such an honor and such a pleasure. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Linda. I always love it when our guests leave us with hope for our future. We can all certainly use as much of that as we can get. Thanks again to Pauline for sharing her time and perspective with us. Thank you for giving her permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. Be sure and check out the show notes at ourvoicesmatterpodcast.com for a link to everything that Pauline is up to. Thanks so much again, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.